Hey, Rockheads, listen up. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the Internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Mark Dunn. This is Karen Cavallero here to announce show number 44 with guest Don Box. Recorded Thursday, November 6, 2003, and published Monday, January 5, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who demands to fly first class on New Year's Eve, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Karen Cavallero, our announcer, and welcome to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I am uh, your host, Carl Franklin, in Hartford tonight, in Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, my co-host, my partner in crime, my compatriot, sitting here beside me, Mark Dunn. How are you this evening, Mark? Hey, Carl. I'm doing great. We've moved the studio to a hotel room, the Goodwinna Hotel in downtown Hartford. Yes, we have. Uh, it just so happens our schedules collided. And uh, this, it seemed to be the best thing to do to move the studio into your hotel room. That's right. And my only fear is that they're going to knock on the door with that power strip we ordered about a half hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> An opportune timing. And, um, well, it's, this is the first show that we've recorded since, since we've been to the PDC. And uh, it's been a, what an incredible experience that was, huh? A surreal experience. Yes, it, it was surreal. Surreal, yes. Especially the roof of the standard. That was the, amazing. The kind of the, the the snooty bartenders, you know, walking around <laughs> in the list at the door. Oh, that was great. You <laughs> felt special when you got in the door there. Special, I guess, yeah. yeah. Felt spe- special education, you know, <laughs> I, like I needed it. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole uh, Longhorn, Whidbey, Yukon rollout announcement and all the hype was just exquisite. And I mm. loved it. We got to see Bill. We did. Yeah, we sat in the front row. And we got to see him. We didn't meet him or anything. No, no, no. We just saw him. We were cheerleading. Go, Bill, go. Go, Bill, go. Right. <clears throat> and after Bill came on, if you remember, uh, our guest came on, uh, and Jim Alchin introduced him, and Chris Anderson, and they, they did some incredible on-the-fly coding demos um, where the, this code just magically appeared from their fingertips to working Longhorn code, and I thought that was pretty spectacular. It was. It was nice to see uh, see guys writing code on the fly in front of 8,000 people. We like that. We love that. Yeah. So our guest uh, tonight actually does need no introduction for 90% of our listeners, but if you're one of the other 10%, here we go. Uh, Don Box is the co-author of SOAP. The SOAP specification has been on again, off again, working with the XML Schema Protocol Working Group. Uh, right now, he's on the Indigo team, and his focus is primarily the next version of SOAP and web services and what that means for uh, .NET and Longhorn developers. He authored WS Policy, WS Addressing, uh, his big tome book that uh, is the standard reference for C++ programmers of Windows is Essential Com, and he goes around giving a bunch of talks and I guess he has quite a reputation for being a little outspoken, very uh, very colorful and, and uh, flamboyant presenter. 
um, just a, a great, a great talent and a great honor to introduce uh, Don Box. How are you, Don? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, Don, I've got to tell you, the first time I heard your name, it was in reference to a, a talk you had done, I think, in Barcelona about soap, where you had sat in a bathtub <laughs> while uh, while giving the talk. Yeah, the quite often these uh, European talks are done on an extremely tight schedule. And as it turns <laughs> out, I needed to make sure I was clean for the talk after that. So I uh, decided to actually just combine bathing and speaking um, and see how it worked out. It seems to have worked out okay. <laughs> oh, awesome. One of the other things, uh, stories that I heard about uh, a talk that you did on Calm, where the message was, Calm is love, and uh, presented the the people there with condoms. Uh, is that true? <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, you know, my old company, we we uh, certainly believed in Calm, um, and you know, we 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 thought Calm is, was a way for for people to get along. It was really about making peace with developers who you may not see eye to eye with. Right. And part of this whole love thing was, uh, you know, we we decided as a you know as a, a marketing thing to to go ahead and and have Calm as Love condoms made, and. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. We had like a thousand of them made or something. I forget the exact number. We had a whole bunch. And yeah, we we would give them out at all kinds of different events. And, you know, if you ever came by the office, you would see the Commas Love condoms in the bowl. Um, they were pretty popular. Yeah, that's that's definitely cool. <laughs> yeah, we the the Indigo team, which is the team I'm on, uh, part of us is Com. We actually, as part of our assimilation of various pieces of Microsoft, you know, brought Com in. Right, and so there's a calm shrine uh, in Building 42 on the first floor. So if, if any of you ever visit, or if any of the listeners ever get a chance to visit Microsoft and are in Building 42, if you come in through the lobby front door, immediately to the right, uh, just past the kitchen, there's a glass cabinet which is a calm shrine. It's got Calm's love memorabilia. It's got a bunch of interesting books and T-shirts and uh, how cool is that? Of that nature. That's yeah, calm was a big thing. Yes, it was. Well, you say was, Don. Is is Com really dead, or or what are we talking about with .NET? Well, so Com isn't dead. Let, let's be really clear. Uh, a good friend of mine who's on this team and used to be on the Com team, I asked him the same question, and he had, I think, the best answer I've heard, which was we were on a panel, I think this was TechEd 2003, and I asked him, is Com dead? And Steve Schwartz, who's the, the fellow I'm talking about, had had the great comment that, Com isn't dead; it's done. Yeah. That the the com is to a point where it's mature, it's stable. If you're writing unmanaged code in C++ or VB6 or whatever yeah. else you might be using, it's done. It's a great thing. It works just fine in that world. Um, but we're not actively investing in doing all kinds of innovation in com. Right. Most of the innovation at Microsoft has moved into managed code, where while the ideas of COM may still make sense, the actual implementation of Olay32.dll, which was where a lot of the interesting bits of COM lived, um, just doesn't make sense anymore. Right. And, and I, I guess I made the analogy that, uh, you know, .NET is like the hair on your head. It's still growing. It needs constant attention. Otherwise, it gets out of control. Whereas COM is like your eyebrow hair, which for most people grows to a <laughs> fixed length. And then you just leave it alone. Um, the PDC demos that you did, 
How, how how did you prepare for that? I mean, it, it. I heard some. I saw some comments. I didn't hear them. I read them on the blogs. That uh, you know, it seemed a little bit scripted, but you know, I thought it was amazingly natural, given that you know it's going to be scripted. I mean, Huckabee, uh, Tim Huckabee, told us about his experience doing some stuff on stage and uh, and about how many layers of backup that they have. You know, people in the wings with mice and stuff like that, getting ready to to jump if something goes wrong. But you guys definitely, <clears throat> did they just like trust you if something were to go wrong during a demo that you'd have the wherewithal to de- troubleshoot it on the fly? Yeah, I, 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 this, this was my second executive keynote walk on or cameo where, you know, I walked into somebody else's talk, did a few minutes. In this case, it was a lot of minutes, but the same idea. And the first time I did it, there was tons of, preparation, scripting, a lot of, of you know, front-end work in, in working on, on the, the what essentially was maybe two minutes, 30 seconds yeah. of, of, of dawn time. This one was the exact opposite. Jim was um, extremely generous with, with Chris and myself. And we just told him, we went, the first meeting I went to, which was maybe a month before the PDC, um, you know, I got asked, so, so Chris and... Uh, his GPM, his group program manager, asked if I'd be interested in, in in working with Chris on this lab, and I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And we went to the first meeting, and you know, Chris and I told Jim what we wanted to do, which was we wanted to write "Hello World" like ten times, right? Right. Believe me, <laughs> a lot of people wanted us to go build some grandiose Duwamish books or right. you know, F and Fitch and Mather stocks, you know, some Jimundo application that yeah, that would have been a mistake. All the bells and whistles, and that's been done to death. And and Chris and I had talked before we met with Jim and said we wanted to do the non-scenario scenario, right? We basically wanted to start from first principles, start with no magic. We just walk up to a vanilla machine as much as possible and just start writing code and see what happens. And so the goal was we would never do more than, say, 10 or 20 lines of code or XAML at a given whack without seeing some results. Right. But that if, if we couldn't do it in 10 or 20 lines, we weren't going to do it. That's great. And, you know, we told Jim that. He loved the story. He uh, just said, go, have fun. That's awesome. We didn't have a script. We did have, by about a week before, a pretty good idea of what code we wanted to write. You know, within, you know, there there weren't a lot of surprises in the code um, at the event. But in terms of the... The the actual you know speaking it was all just like whatever we wanted to say, and that's that's a big difference from you know previous shows and things that they have done, and uh, I for one think it's great. I love by the way I love this new uh, self deprecating Microsoft that we got to see, um, you know even in the keynote and in, in the funny video which I want a copy of by the way. Yeah, the video was awesome. Loved yeah it. the uh, the behind the technology behind video the technology. Yeah, and uh, and just the whole you guys out there writing code freestyle without a net, I thought was just brilliant, and I want to see more of that. So I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely. I mean, uh, this was my first PDC as an employee. Before this, I I worked outside of Microsoft, and so in, in general, while I've gotten to speak at PDCs, it's always been like pre-conference work. Um, so I've never been involved with a keynote before, uh, certainly not at this scale. And I always wanted to see this. I mean, I always wondered, you know, so this is all, you know, it's wonderful to go see the flashing light demos. And they're a necessary part of, of 
the rollout. Yes. And you couldn't have a rollout without it. Right. I mean, it was fantastic that we did this relatively brain dead piece of code for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. While we were up there. Yeah. But then right after us, we, we hauled out three partner companies, Merck, Amazon, and right. Adobe. And they showed, you know, flashing lights out the wazoo. And, you know, it made me want Longhorn. Yes. But, but you really need both. I agree. I, I thought that, that, that Jim's keynote was, uh, really well balanced. I was, uh, you know, he gave, he basically gave Chris and me, uh, you know, an hour of it. So of course I'm going to think it's balanced. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great that you made him, uh, be your monkey and, uh, write code. It was wonderful to see that. Yeah. Come be my code monkey. That was great. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he he uh, was a really good sport about it, and uh, he wanted to use VI, so we made sure we had VI on the machine for him. And uh, yeah, it was actually uh, really nice. Yeah, my fa- I think my favorite moment of the PDC was when the the Charles Simone reference came in. When <laughs> I, I forgot the exact line, but Chris Chris and Jim were giving me a bad time about my choice of a variable name, and Chris said something like, "Yeah, Don doesn't you know Don doesn't use Hungarian," and I made the statement about how um, now that Charles has left the firm, we're allowed to pick our own variable name. <laughs> yeah. And Jim totally didn't see it coming, and he just, like, totally cracked up. Right. That was For me, that was like, wow, I really cracked up, uh, you know, Jim. I, I, it was, that was, like, a very real moment. It was really great. And for the listeners that don't know who Jim is, who, who is Jim Alchin? Jim Alchin is the group vice president at Microsoft. He oversees um, Windows. He oversees the server and tools. And I'm sure there are large, large swaths of software he oversees that I'm forgetting. But uh, he uh, works for Balmer and uh, is uh, uh, obviously a very senior guy here at Microsoft. Also plays a nice guitar, from what I hear. Yeah, Jim was actually uh, we had, we had we had hit him up to play with the band, um, and uh, just due to scheduling, we weren't able to pull it off. But I'm hoping that at some future date, we can uh, have Jim sit in with the band. Uh, what he's talking about there, listeners, is Band on the Runtime, which was a, uh, uh, I guess it's been in, around for a couple of years now, right, in various incarnations? Yeah, we, we started Band on the Runtime in 2001 at conference.net, and pretty much any time we get a critical mass of guys in the band at a, an event, we'll play a gig. Yeah, we played at uh, we played on the roof of the standard at that uh, press party. And also yes, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, Carl is the latest addition to ban- the band on the runtime. Oh, well, I was honored. I was honored yes, to and, play Yes, and you, you certainly, uh, in fact, David Chappell, who, so the original kernel of the band was David Chappell, uh, that's the, the well-dressed David Chappell. Well-dressed. Good taste in technology. And a great Not Dave Chappell of Sonic, who's a wonderful person, but he's not that David. He's from the other side of the tracks. He's from the other side right. of the tracks. We track won't talk about him. And uh, Ted Patterson uh, of VB fame. Right. So it was originally David, Ted, and myself. And, and we played bass. Been, yes, I play bass. And we've been rotating drummers. And the problem is we've been getting drummers from outside the computing industry who don't really understand our lyrics. Yeah. And look, Carl, you're, you're actually a really strong musician, but I think what really made it good was you got the joke. So <laughs> the, the, the rhythm section was totally in sync with on what was happening lyrically. Right. And that was what really made it. I'd give you rim shots, shots at the right, the right time. In other yeah, words. exactly. I, I really thought <laughs> this was probably the best band on the runtime gig. Oh, that's and, great. And, and Chapel uh, agreed. No, it was great fun. I can't wait to uh, make recording or do whatever George wants to do next time, George Bullock. So let's talk about Soap. You uh, co-authored Soap 1.0. 
when I hear about, um, when I tell people about SOAP, that it's a standard and XML protocol that uh, was built by more than just Microsoft, um, you know, people have a hard time believing that. People go, hmm. Yeah. That sounds very fishy. But uh, tell me who, who all was involved in the the web service SOAP spec. What companies, in, including you? Well, so w- what happened was in in March or April of 1998, I got a call from a buddy of mine who uh, was running Com at the time here at Microsoft, and he called me up and said, "Look, you know, we're doing we we need to do some XML replacement for DCOM. We need to basically move off of uh, you know the existing DCOM platform, or at least have a have a, a more web friendly alternative. And you want to come up and and help out? And so I jumped at it because I had worked on the DCOM on Unix project and." You know, we while the engineering was was actually reasonable, the the problem was there was just such a culture shock getting Com to work on Unix to make DCOM work that you know I kind of wanted that vision to to pan out, but it was it was obvious that wasn't the path to getting there. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that looks like a reasonable thing to come up and spend some time on. And so it was uh, Bob Atkinson and Mosinal Gosain from Microsoft. It was me, and at the time I worked at Developmentor. And then it was also Dave Weiner, who is pretty well known nowadays for doing RSS. Right. But at the time, he was building content management systems based on a scripting engine he had. And he wanted, again, to be able to, to do this kind of cross-machine scripting. So you know, we had different people with different you know uh, biases. I mean, I, I was definitely into Corba and Java at the time, even though you know my heart belonged to Com. So uh, we got together for a few days in, in Redmond, you know, sketched out what we wanted it to look like, went back to our collective corners and got Interop up and running pretty quickly, actually. And then we wrote a spec, and it sat for mm, a year and a half without any real, at least without any public movement. And we restarted, we basically reformed the band in mm, September of 99, so about 16, 17 months later. And that's when we really started in earnest trying to push the thing out the door. So it started at Microsoft? The first meeting was at Microsoft. Okay. But uh, it was definitely Dave Weiner brought a lot to the table. And, you know, I you know, I, I had whatever contributions I had as well. And I was not a Microsoftie at the time. And then uh, somehow along the line, IBM got involved and uh, some other companies? Yeah, so we did SOAP 1.0, just the, the three companies, uh, UserLand, Microsoft, and Developmentor. Oh wow. oh wow! And with SOAP 1.1, Microsoft was able to convince IBM that this would be a good thing to do, and so we brought Noah Mendelson and Dave Anabusky on from IBM for the SOAP 1.1 spec, which is the one that most people actually are familiar with. Okay. And that was the one that got submitted to the W3C. Right, and that's what we use today in VS so 2002. Most, you know, odds are, if you're using SOAP, it's SOAP 1.1. Right. Now, so 1.2 just got ratified by the W3C uh, sometime earlier this year. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, the world hasn't moved over to SOAP 1.2 overnight. Does SOAP 1.2 include the uh, extensions that we have heard so much about recently? Or is that No, coming? SOAP 1.2 does not. SOAP 1.2 and SOAP 1.1 are functionally pretty much the same. They, they differ in details. The SOAP 1.2 spec is, generally speaking, much better written. Um, but in terms of like what can you do with SOAP 1.2 that you can't do with SOAP 1.1, 1. 1, 
not a whole lot. A lot of the 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 work I did um, here at Microsoft um, in 2002 on all these WS specs, which um, the Indigo team is implementing, that stuff lives on top of SOAP, but it's not technically part of the SOAP specification. Okay. Okay. Now, as far as um, I guess most listeners uh, uh, will know what SOAP is, uh, I, I'm curious. In the beginning, I always heard SOAP associated with firewalls. You know, this is a way for me to make a call from one program to another through a firewall. Was that uh, kind of the catalyst, a goal to to get you started? Well, the I think the catalyst that got us started in 1998 was was a couple of things. One was this whole notion of binary RPC systems. It was obvious that the world of the web was getting a hell of a lot more traction, and there was something about having a, a but simple technology right. that anybody could implement and that everybody implemented. Even a VB programmer, John? <laughs> Especially a VB programmer. He did say but simple. Especially a VB programmer. <laughs> so the, the fact that, you know, that, that the, the Herculean effort it took to get DCOM up and running on Unix was, was pretty telling. Right? Yeah. That even yeah. though, the spec for DCOM was actually written down, and yeah, you could look at it. There were just so many twists and turns in the implementation that it wasn't practical. So the web was a great example of, of something that worked. Right. right? right. There, was a, there was a proof point, which was the actual web. And, you know, a lot of people were investing in HTTP infrastructure. Um, Apache had and continues to have great legs on the Unix side. Right. IIS was in 1998 already pretty strong on Windows, and, you know, obviously Microsoft was investing a lot right. in making it better. Yeah. So it was like, let, let's consolidate and and unify around this this thing that the world is doing and just make it as usable as humanly possible. When did the uh, Web Services Consortium convene? I mean, that was, that's uh, to me, that's when it went big time. Well, so uh, there, there there's a couple of different working the standard setting organizations that that I you might be referring to there's the World Wide web consortium and then there's the w the web services interoperability organization sometimes called wSI so w the World Wide web consortium or sometimes called the w3c yeah. uh, was actually formed ooh, sometime in the early 90s I believe right mid 90s I'm not I don't I the history escapes me but uh, Tim Berners-Lee was part of that, wasn't he? Yeah, the, Tim Berners-Lee founded it. Right. Um, their offices are in MIT. They have a, a office in uh, Japan as well as in Europe. But the W3C has such a, a diverse set of interests sure. that this notion of web services is is really kind of a pigeonhole for them. It's not really their their bread and butter. I think most of the energy right now in the W3C, quite honestly, is being focused on the semantic web which is a completely different uh, technology that Tim Berners-Lee is obviously infatuated with. Right. So the, the web services, the WSI, in other words, is the, uh, is the one I'm thinking of. The one I'm thinking of is the uh, conglomeration, if you will, of about 200 uh, companies in a consortium that uh, are trying to keep the standards uh, under open control. And under control, right? Sure. That, that's definitely WSI. Okay. Yeah, WSI was formed after I came to Microsoft, so it had to be sometime in 2002 or 2003. 
Um, and again, I'm not great with exact dates. But yeah, WSI was formed by Microsoft, IBM, and a bunch of other partner companies I, who, whose names are escaping me. Right. Um, Intel, um, Intel, I know for sure. And yeah, we, we basically wanted the ability to make sure that these standards, which quite often get out of control, um, <laughs> yes, and, they and do. tend to be very open-ended, that we'd be able to identify an interoperable profile that everybody would be able to uh, converge on. And the, the first artifact out of WSI was actually a, a pretty significant piece of work, which was the Basic Profile 1.0, which hmm. took SOAP 1.1, WSDL 1.1, and UDDI 2 or 3. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it took WSDL, effectively SOAP and, and WSDL, um, and, and paired off features which either were, were too ill-defined to actually be implemented broadly in an interoperable way or field experience kind of showed this is an architectural dead end. Maybe we should try and get people off of this path. Yeah. So, yeah, WSI BP 1.0 was a, a, a super big deal. We're working really hard to make sure that um, all the web service infrastructure here at Microsoft adheres to BP 1.0. Let's bring in the acronym police for a minute. Uh, UDDI, Universal right. Discovery Description Integration. Is that right? Okay. So let's go ahead and go from the beginning. <laughs> okay. So, Simple Object Access Protocol. No. No? No. As of SOAP 1.2, SOAP's acronym status has been revoked. In SOAP 1.2, um, the W3C has officially declared that SOAP is a word and not an acronym. So it oh. is not an abbreviation for anything. Okay. WSDL, on the other hand, is in a much more interesting situation. WSDL has had several names. Right. And in fact, I'm actually going to the web right now to find, to find out what the name is. Because <laughs> what's interesting is it's changing as we speak. It used to be. Well, well here, here's the great thing. If you go to the the W3C website and pull up the the Wisdom spec, and it's at www.w3.org, whack tr, whack Wisdom, W-S-D-L. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's it's hilarious. The spec. <laughs> title inside the spec is Web Services Description Language right. 1.1. Yet if you look in the title of your web browser, it says Web Service Definition Language. Ooh. And so, I've heard Web Service Discovery Language, too. Discovery Language. Uh, I've, I've never heard that one. Oh, maybe it, it was a misprint in a slide, but I've yeah. seen that. That could be. But certainly even the, the W3C note on WSDL 1.1 has a variety of names. Okay. So... Uh, effectively, Wizdle is the metadata that describes what goes on the wire. Well, here's your opportunity to uh, tell us about Indigo. What is what is currently limiting about SOAP 1.1, or even 1.2 for that matter, that Indigo addresses? Great question. I'm not sure that there's anything limiting in SOAP. The, the, okay. One of the base commitments we make in Indigo is to the SOAP data model and the SOAP processing model. We, we've taken some really, really hard dependencies on the way SOAP 1.2 works, and we've made sure that we have excellent support on the CLR for doing SOAP development and SOAP messaging. You know, the the short answer is there are no limits because SOAP has become such a minimal specification. I mean, the good thing about it taking so long is we were able to cut a lot of extraneous features, and really almost all that's left in SOAP is an extensibility model. And so what we do in Indigo is make that extensibility model accessible to programmers on the .NET platform. 
Right. Well, a lot of I, I know a lot of students that I have in classes. They uh, they think about web services and SOAP together, of course, and they always bring up security, the lack of uh, transaction support, uh, you know, things like this as shortcomings in web services. Uh, that really has nothing to do with the SOAP spec itself, though, does it? Yeah, it's a feature that SOAP didn't try to tackle all of these other problems. Rather, the goal was to build a simple data model, a simple extensibility model, and a simple processing model into which we could build those higher-order pieces of functionality. And so what we're doing with these higher-order protocols like WS Security and WS uh, Coordination is trying to add those services, again, in a broadly adopted, interoperable way so that we can do those kinds of things, like having secure, reliable transactions um, in a vendor-neutral way. So if you want to live in a world that has some .NET and some .NOT or WebSphere or whatever it is you're using, um, <laughs> you should be able to do that. And we're, we're deeply committed to making that work well. Well, um, the, these uh, extensions that we've heard of that I mentioned a bit ago, WS Security and uh, the, the ones that you mentioned, We've we've seen those in in toolkits uh, available for download, but um, my experience has been that they seem to, especially with the security, it's been a bit difficult to to figure out, especially because I think it's so open ended, and it doesn't provide for, you know, uh, it doesn't actually do the encryption and and all that stuff. It just provides a place for you to put things. Um, are we going to see better integration with that stuff in Indigo? Is that sort of the the whole idea to make it more accessible? Yeah, in, in, it's interesting if you look at um, the web services enhancements for ASP.NET or WYSI, as we call it around here. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely a distinct uh, technology from Indigo. We, we actually spun the WYSI project out of the Indigo team um, because we wanted to have uh, the ability to vet these protocols that we've been building and, and designing with our partners. We wanted the ability to vet them on a real implementation in real customer scenarios so that the protocols would actually get better. So one of the primary motivations for us to do WSI in the first place was to get an unimplementation of these protocols out into customers' hands, uh, but not necessarily the easiest-to-use implementation. That doesn't mean we don't try to make it easy and obvious to use, but that certainly wasn't the um, you know our, our number one priority. Our number okay. one priority was making sure we shipped something that was secure and worked. And right. Use of developer usability and productivity weren't the high order bits because um, it wasn't really thought of as that. We didn't think of WSI as a, kind of a, a mass market mainstream technology. It was definitely built for enthusiasts, people who really care about you know taking advantage of these protocols um, early right. um, in in the cycle and understand that. Quite honestly, our commitment to WSI is different than it is for a normal platform product. Our you know our our expectations of code breakage so. If you write a, a program against WSI 1, and when we ship WSI 2, there's not really an expectation that we're going to keep all of the APIs working, right? It's definitely a tactical, you know... Interim uh, solution. Inter incremental release um, that, that requires somebody to be pretty enthusiastic to use. That stated, we support the product. You know, if you have a bug, you know, you can call Microsoft support. We do our best. Um, so it, it it's kind of an interesting hybrid between you know, kind of a sample, which is, you know, just you, uh, a very, very unsupported piece of code and, you know, something that's, you know, platform-level support like Windows or Office. Does WSI exist on other platforms besides .NET 
Or is this just a Microsoft thing? I know, I know I me, mean, just a Microsoft. on .NET. Okay. And is there any support for the WSE in the in the other platforms that you well, know of? Well, certainly other, you know, we, we've, we've done several um, interoperability workshops and had several vendors together to make sure these protocols actually interop uh, on a broad level. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head what other products from other vendors are shipping that support these things. Okay. Um, but I know that we've, we've publicly demonstrated a lot of interop with IBM. Who right. We obviously work very closely with. Right. And there was the Steve Mills, Bill Gates demonstration yeah. a couple months ago. And, you know, they showed actual code on both platforms running the WS security stack, the WS transaction stack, and WS nice. reliable messaging. Nice. And, you know, it was all live code. It was all, you know, working. Um, what now, I don't know how much of that stuff is shipped in WebSphere, the actual product. Um, but I know what I, but I can tell you what our plans are, which is we're doing WSI now and Indigo obviously takes over, um, sometime in the next, uh, two years or so. Okay. Right. Well, I, w- I, I want to hear about Indigo, but right now we have uh, a word from our sponsor. So stick around. Well, like many of you, I, too, uh, tried out Crystal Reports because it came with VisualStudio.net and soon found myself up against uh, walls in development and uh, licensing problems, which I'm sure you know about. And then somebody told me about Data Dynamics, ActiveReports.net, and since then I've been hooked. Listen, everybody that I know, every regional director... Every MVP that I know, everyone who has experience with using report generators uh, will tell you the same thing. ActiveReports.net is the thing to get. Let me tell you about it. It's easy to use uh, because it fully integrates with VisualStudio.net. It has an office-like designer, so it's very easy to understand. And developers, you can use whatever language you know to program the report. It's not specific to one language. Um, and the reports in your application work just like forms. They're compiled into the app, and you, the developer, can reference any of the objects, functions, and custom data sources in the report. It also has full ASP.NET support with a web viewer, HTTP handlers, and full integration into web applications. It's also easy to license. There's a royalty-free per-developer licensing scheme, which makes it really easy to license in any setting. WinForms, WebForms, servers, no CPU-based or user-based uh, licensing, and really no hassle. Now, very easy to deploy. You can use XCopy deployment. Complete flexibility. It's just It was just made for .NET. It's absolutely cool. And if you've used Active Reports for VB6, you'll be all that much more familiar with it. Uh, I also want to mention a couple things about the company, Data Dynamics, just in case you don't know who they are. They were established in 1996. They're based in Columbus, Ohio, and they focus on quality components and superior technical support. Most products are bestsellers in the ActiveX and .NET markets, 
including Active Reports, Active Bar, Sharp Grid, and Dynamic Cube. Check it out. I wouldn't use anything else, personally, and uh, you can take my word for it. Now let's get back to Don Box on this incredibly historic edition of .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. And we're back. And Mark's got a question for you. That's right. You mentioned uh, reliable messaging. Uh, how exactly is that going to work? And then a second part of that question is, uh, do you work with uh, the BizTalk team at all uh, on implementing technologies for future versions of BizTalk? So the answer is, well, the first question doesn't have a yes-no answer, so let's start there. So w- what's up with this reliable messaging thing? It if you think about HTTP, which is what a lot of people are doing right now with SOAP, it kind of assumes point-to-point connectivity, even though in the presence of firewalls or proxy servers, sometimes you wind up tunneling TCP connections. There is a notion that I'm going to have direct, reliable connectivity between the sender and the receiver of the message. It turns out there's a lot of scenarios where that's not the case, where yeah. the message goes in through an intermediary, He's going to, you know, multiplex it off through some other set of connections. And I may not have end-to-end transport connectivity. NAT's a big problem too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in order to make sure that I have end-to-end assurances about what messages are getting through, we did the WS Reliable Messaging Protocol, and we're implementing that in Indigo. Seems like a, a pretty pretty ambitious thing to be able to transverse all of those um, tricky platforms. Sure does. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. The the Indigo project in general has this extra burden that we're not just building a bunch of software. We're building a bunch of protocols with partner companies and implementing them at the same time. And so, yeah, it definitely um, is is not the most efficient way to do engineering, but it's the way we're doing it. Right, and the second part of my question, uh, you know, grows out of me working with BizTalk. BizTalk uh, it can be used for app integration, business-to-business communication, and it also supports the idea of reliable messaging as far as, uh, you know, making sure that your document got where you sent it, you get a receipt back. Uh, what you're talking about, does that have anything to do or any applications with BizTalk? Well, so there's the the specific question about how reliable messaging overlaps, um, which I'm happy to to answer. might be useful useful to answer the other question first, which is what is the relationship between Indigo and and BizTalk? In the first release of Indigo and the current in-progress release of BizTalk, which is codenamed Jupyter, the relationship is only on the wire. That is, we can consume BizTalk based services because they support SOAP and WSDL. They can consume Indigo-based services because we support SOAP and WSDL. It's a beautiful thing. It just works. But there's no specific um, alliance between Indigo and BizTalk until after Jupyter, the first release of BizTalk after Jupyter will have explicit support for Indigo, um, both in terms of in-memory integration of the Indigo implementation of this stuff, as well as wire-level uh, interop with our security, transactioning, and, mm. and reliability. Holy cow, Don. That's good to hear. <laughs> I'm excited, my friend. Oh, I'm glad. And that doesn't happen every day, you know, yeah. as you know. 
So so summarize for us what uh, what the new what the new abilities are of Indigo over the web services that we have today. Well, so the first is we have these additional capabilities which were fairly ad hoc before. That is, yeah. I can do secure, reliable transactions across service boundaries, and it works. And it works actually fairly well. Developer productivity is a big thing in the Indigo team. Yeah. That, that's one thing that, that turns out to be important. The other thing that's important is um, it's about choice. As much as we would love the entire world to use .NET and to use Indigo, you know, it's never going to happen. There's always going to be, be, be people using something else. And so we made deep commitments to making sure all this stuff works across vendor boundaries um, so that we're not um, in this kind of, you know, uh, blinders-on, Microsoft-only world. There's been some um, compatibility issues with different versions of web services on platforms, especially with Java I'm thinking of. Uh, is that right? I, it interrupts an ongoing process. I, yeah. I wish I could say that we could snap our fingers and it would just happen. I mean, there's so many things that are beyond your control. Uh, you know, everybody has to play well. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. We there, were, there was a kind of an ad hoc mechanism for trying to get interop in the old world of where we just had SOAP and maybe WSDL, which was this thing called SOAP Builders. Yeah. Which was uh, effectively a bunch of implementers would find an event that they'd all be going to, and they would try and piggyback a bake-off um, <laughs> around that. And... Um, what we've done recently is we have this workshop process in which the authors of these higher order specs get together along with other people who, you know, want to implement them and, and live in this playground. And we actually do hard bake-offs with real products. And, you know, we're not, it, it, it's going to take time. But we're certainly making, I think, reasonable inroads at this point in making sure that we get all of this stuff to work. There, there's still a lot of challenges, though. Yeah. So Indigo, I guess the default namespace there is going to be system messaging. Is that right? No. System.messaging, that's an interesting thing about Microsoft. Is It's like it's kind of like DNS name poaching right. and squatting like, like people mm -hmm. used to do in the 90s. Well, at Microsoft, people will find some really useful and general noun or adjective or <laughs> verb, and they will try and get the system.that. <laughs> and once you get it, it's gold, right? System. And unfortunately, system.messaging sure. was already taken by our MSMQ implementation. Right. right. Um, and it's ironic because the guy who picked that is actually one of our dev leads on Indigo. Hmm. And uh, you know, he's he's certainly uh, lamenting uh, picking that for a, a fairly modest uh, implementation. So yeah, I believe we will be spread out over a couple of namespaces. The primary place people will come into Indigo is in system dot service models. Okay. When we hit beta one, if you're using the PDC bits, we shipped a tech preview uh, as part of Longhorn at the PDC last week. If you're using that build, everything is under system dot message bus. Message okay. bus. Okay. But uh, I don't think you'll hear the term message bus much. Okay. Going away. In other words. What is, so is Indigo only a Longhorn technology? This is a good question. Uh, am I going to be able to use Indigo with, um, you know, the Visual Studio of the day on Windows 2000 XP and all that? No, no, and yes. So <laughs> your questions were, is Indigo a Longhorn-only technology? The answer is no. Okay. Will I be able to use it on Windows 2000? The answer is no. Will I be able to use it on Windows XP? The answer is yes. Okay. So is that 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. clear. So, so what our plan is, we ship with Longhorns. So if you have a Longhorn machine at your mom's house and you want to go write some Indigo code. You just pull up the VB compiler. You, the C you just pull up the VB compiler. You pull up MS Build. Right. And you're cooking with gas. You got everything you need. Um, if you're on Windows XP or Windows Server 2003, you will need an update. And whether we ship as part of Widby, or whether, which is the next version of the .NET framework, right. or whether we ship with the next version after that, which is called Orcus, or whether we have some intermediary build, um, it's just too early to tell. Yeah. Well, and, and for the record, my mom will be running Longhorn because uh, the current paradigm is not working for her. And I can definitely tell you that uh, she is one person who's going to benefit from the new usability features in Longhorn. And I, I personally think, by the way, that uh, once people get a taste of it, they're not going to want to go back to the old, to the old windows. Yeah, I, really I think agree. it's going to be great. And, and, and Carl, you are a wonderful son. Your mother is so fortunate to have. I you. know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call her right now and tell her that. Yeah, great. Um, so, shifting gears to uh, some things that have been happening in the news recently, what do you think of what's been going on in the Linux camp, which is Novell buying Suse? and Red Hat dis, uh, declaring that they're no longer going to provide a free version of Linux, but instead will allow you to purchase for a price an enterprise version of Linux, and the CEO of Red Hat telling the world that uh, you ought not use Linux if you're not using it on a, in an enterprise, and that the majority of people should be running Windows. <laughs> That's uh, really interesting news. I, I think... You know, taking off my partisan hat, which is very hard to do, um, I'll admit, even if I were a Linux zealot, I would be very, very concerned if every household in America or in any major country were to actually go off and try and install Linux and deploy Linux broadly on a house-by-house basis. Um, quite honestly, if you ask me about Longhorn in its current state, the, the, the bits we just shipped, um, at PDC last week, I give you the exact same answer. Yeah. Right. The Longhorn we have today isn't ready to be deployed. Otherwise, we'd be shipping it and selling it. I mean, that's a great. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because I've seen some whining out there on the blogs about how it doesn't work, this and that, and doesn't no, work. No, it is and... a preview for developers to get a taste of what we're doing. Yeah. It good. is definitely not indicative of what we're shipping. Um, there will be real change between. There will be not only change in terms of like it'll get better and it'll be more stable and faster, et cetera, all the all the kind of obvious hygiene things you would expect. Yeah. But honestly, we're going to evolve the surface area of the programming model to adapt to what developers tell us. If if developers tell us, you know, this feature is completely unusable, we're going to you know bend over backwards to make it usable. So um, this was definitely to to get a conversation going between us, the platform vendor, and you, the, 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 the community of developers who are actually going to make this platform real. And yeah, if you interpret this as the, the, be, the beginning and the end of that conversation, then we failed at PDC really communicating what the intention was. It certainly was a, a coincidence that these announcements came briefly after the world saw Longhorn for the first time. You think? <laughs> yeah, I, I have not thought about the, the, any kind of correlation. I, I, I don't, I don't, Coincidenza? <laughs> you know, I've been, uh, as you can probably guess, I've been pretty heads down until last Friday working right. on PDC. Yeah. And so, you know, quite honestly, the last week I've been 
kind of getting back into a technical life and writing code and doing stuff like that. So I haven't been really doing a lot of geopolitical analysis of world events. Sorry. So what do you think? What do you think? Uh, you think you'd really be able to hire Miguel de Acasa to uh, to Microsoft as you want to recruit him? You know, I've, I, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. His ass is mine. <laughs> it, is, it is a matter of time. Confirming Spencer the cat. Be, before Miguel and I work at the same company. And I don't intend to leave Microsoft anytime soon. Well, uh, for so those You can draw what inferences you need to. Yeah. For those who don't know that story, uh, Don is trying to uh, recruit Miguel Diacasa, who has been hired by Novell, his company, uh, Zimian. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. And by the way, correction, Carl? Yes. I'm not trying to hire him. I'm in the act of hiring ah, him. Ah, okay. There we go. His ass is yours, in other words. I'm doing my best. Yes. And to that end, you sang him a love song. Yes. I, I, when the band played on Monday night at PDC, um, as you know, I prepared a, a, a love ballad to Miguel to show him how I felt and how we feel at Microsoft about him. You brought him flowers. How can he say no? Flowers. I got down on my knees. We danced. I I don't know what. I I mean. What else can I do? (laughs) Obviously, I have to do more because he's still not working at Microsoft. But I think I left an impression, and I think, you know, if I keep this up and I'm persistent, it might not happen in a month. Yeah. It may not happen in a year, but that is going to be mine. Seriously, I really do want to work with Miguel. I think it'd be a, a, a lot of fun to work with him. He's a very bright guy. He's got a lot of energy. And uh, it, it's it, it's in my nature to recruit uh, as many people as I can. Yeah. If I find someone who seems like they'd be fun to work with or has some skills that I'd like to uh, get closer to me, um, I'm going to do my best to recruit them. And that mm-hmm. was true before I came to Microsoft. It's true now. And it would be true, you know, if, if at some point in my life I'm no longer with the firm, um, I, I hope to, to continue that. Yeah. You think having a Linux version of the Windows forms, you know, in the future is going to, uh, let's say, motivate Microsoft at all, or is it just going to be a pain? I really don't know. I'm, uh, you know, well, I think that the idea of having other implementations of C Sharp and the common language infrastructure is, you know, a completely good thing. Uh, You know, how much the the homage um, to what we're doing here goes up the stack. I, I don't really know. I personally take your your point there. Uh, the first thing you said that that it's all good. I think it. I think it's just good. I, I really don't think uh, even a Novell can keep up with the force of Microsoft's innovation, and uh, especially from what we've seen, uh, it's going to take a long time before anybody catches up. But uh, I guess it is a you know something to think about, and I wanted your opinion on it. How about this? I have a question for you guys. Okay. So, Carl, after playing with the band, what song was the most fun to play? For me, it was the uh, takeoff on "I Shot the Sheriff," just because I love that beat. I love the the drums. Um, but in terms of like the the funniest song, like the the one that I get the most kick out of, it was definitely Miguel. Oh, great, great. It was yeah. definitely. Which, which of course, you stepped out from behind the drum kit and played uh, a wonderful guitar. Yeah, I played the guitar on that one. Yeah, and that was really fun. We're going to have to record that so that the people can hear it. But, uh, no, just the whole the whole story of you, you know, 
<laughs> serenading Miguel de Acaza, you know, with a flower and uh, with those lyrics. It's just hysterical. It, it was a it was a hoot. That's for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fifty ways to send a message was pretty good too. And Mark, was it was it inter- what was it like seeing your your life partner in that different situation? I mean, normally. I know you guys live together and you're raising a family <laughs> together, but to see him up there as a drummer, was that, was that a, a big change for you? Well, you know, what was great is I've, I, for a long time I've known Carl as a great musician, and, uh, you know, he's very modest about it. Not many people know that. And it was great for me to see, uh, see him up, you know, playing with a band in front of a bunch of guys that you know, were really enjoying it. Well, yeah, Carl is definitely the guy. That was, I was I was astonished by. I mean, he came in to play drums, which, you know, everyone knows all the drummer jokes. I assume. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if VB programmers think they have it bad, they should try being a drummer. That's sometime. right. What do you call a guy who hangs around with musicians? A drummer. A drummer. How about the? What did the drummer get on his SATs? Drool. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, when Carl stepped out from behind the drum kit and was able to just have this encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, pop culture in music. It was just fantastic. It was great. Oh, you're too kind. I have a long history of playing weddings and bars and stuff like that. Sure. It's all ingrained and embezzled. Embezzled? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Emblazoned, I think, is what I was going to You were thinking say. about playing for those accountants a couple of months ago. It's all ingrained. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Well, you've heard me do lots of cheesy commercials for the VBNet Masterclass at Franklin's Net. and But I, it strikes me that I really haven't told you what we really do in the class. Um, you just hear me talking to these guests and saying, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. But what I really do to feed my family is I teach. And I teach VBNet to VB6 developers. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my class and how I've honed it over the last few years and, and made it very successful for lots of developers. Well, on Monday, we spend a lot of time dealing with object-oriented technology. I realize that VB6 programmers, in general, don't know as much about objects as they think they do. And even if you've been, especially if you've been doing objects in VB4, 5, and 6, you may not really understand what an object is. So we spend a lot of time going over that. We also cover the essential stuff about .NET, what you need to know technically at a low level in order to do a good job as a programmer. So we talk about garbage collection, we talk about 
the CLR. We talk about memory management. We talk about assemblies. Talk about ILDASM in intermediate language, and all that good kind of dry but necessary stuff that you need to know. But we spend an awful lot of time talking about objects. And by the end of the day, you'll be very comfortable writing objects in object-oriented software. And then on Tuesday, we spend the whole day doing ADO net code. And I'm not just talking about the shallow examples you get in the help file. We go deep. We go into what are the requirements for doing a real application with ADO net. So we work heavily with data sets and data adapters. We we use store procedures. We use、uh, data readers. And we go into how the data adapter does what it does because you know it's a it's a pretty much a black box in .NET, and we end up the day making a three-tier application that includes a DLL component that serves up the data and does business logic. On Wednesday, we spend the whole day doing ASP.NET. Now it's only one day on ASP.NET, and we have a whole nother class, the ASP.NET Master Class, where the focus is on ASP.NET. Yes, we do the objects and we do the VB stuff and and all that and the and the the framework and the CLR, but the core of the time is spent within the framework of ASP.NET. Well, anyway, on Wednesday you'll learn enough to get you started with ASP.NET and to understand the architecture, to understand、uh, where things go and how to expand it and how to develop for the web. On Thursday we do web services both synchronously and asynchronously and dive into multi-threaded applications. Um, that takes up a significant amount of time, but we also have time to do some other things, some more advanced topics like serialization, instrumentation, Windows services, performance counters, and deploying、uh, DLLs to the global assembly cache. On Friday, we start with remoting. We take the component that we've built on Tuesday. That we have now accessed from a Windows application, from a web application, and from a web service, and we access it via remoting, hosted in Internet Information Services. So we come full circle with all the ways in which we can access components and data.、Uh, and then we go into graphics programming, GDI plus printing is kind of important. And the rest, the last half of the day on Friday, is dedicated to a project, which you can do. Uh, in a few hours, and you get your choice of one of two projects. One is the standard stuff that we've been doing all week, and the second one is a more advanced, more challenging project that you can do, where you create your database from scratch using SQL Server and store procedures, and then you take it from there. And I don't need to tell you that、uh, you're never going to have better lunches than you have at Franklin's Net. We take you out to real restaurants, and and、uh, margaritas are required. So check it out at www.franklins.net. Now let's get back to this incredible show with Don Box. Don't you go away. Yes. So as much as I love talking about Indigo, I'm really curious. Both of you were at the PDC for most, if not all, of the week. Um, what were your impressions of the other two pillars, WinFS and Avalon? Oh, absolutely spectacular! First of all, the the thing that really got my attention about WinFS that I'm now using as a tagline to tell people about it is how long was how long does it take you to search for a file on your hard drive? And the answer is、oh, I don't even do it because it takes so long. And then I ask, well, how long would it take you to Google it in the world on the internet? And the answer is oh five seconds, 
And so think about it. It's faster to find a document in the whole freaking world than it is for you to find it on your own machine. And something's wrong there. Yes. Yep. And so this uh, this this process of finding things can definitely be improved. And at, at first, when I heard about, you know, oh, my God, SQL Server is the file system, uh, the only thing that I thought about was blobs, you know, storing files as blobs in a big SQL file somewhere. Right. And that's just not the case. It's the indexing and the location, uh, you know, of, of stuff on your hard drive that is borrowed from SQL. So yeah. I'm just extremely excited about that. Yeah, me too. The whole idea that you can, uh, almost like you do with the database now, create views and look at data different ways, uh, you're doing that with the file system now, almost like creating a pivot table to look at data in a different way. And a fantastic thing is, is there's so many applications that you run nowadays that do that kind of stuff, like Goldmine for business contacts and other database kind of applications that you can now just use the, the shell to organize and find those things. And I, I just, for one, think that's spectacular. I also like the fact that you have standard schemas like people and documents and calendars that all these applications understand. And so you can just overlay one calendar on top of another. That blew me away. Um, and again, nothing new about it, just the whole idea of bringing standards to schemas of data types. It's fantastic. You know, Don, when I saw the demo of Longhorn, I thought that clock really rocked on the on the sidebar up there. <laughs> the hypno clock. That, I love that clock, yeah, man. It's great. And it's vectors. Vector graphics. Scaled graphics. Awesome. And it does have hypnotic powers. Yes. That yes. make you like Longhorn. That's right. Yeah. It worked on me. Great. The old Jedi mind trick. Perfect. And as far as as far as uh Avalon the graphics, uh, the thing that gets me, as Mark and I were just saying, is the, the vector graphics. Um, you can easily see how vectors scale much better than, than uh, raster graphics. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I like the fact that you can have movies in your background. That's nice, but that's not really what it's all about. I yeah, like the... The transparent windows were cool. Yeah. But we, we could kind of do that with opacity. Yeah, now. we can do that with opacity. Uh, Don, I have an important question for you. Yes. Did you like the new Matrix movie? You've seen it by now. Yeah. Um, the the team had a, a showing over at the IMAX theater uh, on opening day, which was I think Wednesday of this week. And yeah, it was uh, it was an experience. I, I certainly loved the first film. You know, as much as a man can love a piece of celluloid, and. The second movie kind of was a big letdown for me. This one, because I went in with such really low expectations, um, I was fine with it. I mean, will I go see it a million times? No. Um, but, you know, it, it was okay. Nothing could be as spectacular as that first viewing of The Matrix, the no, original. No, it's, it's one of those films like Fight Club, which, you know, <laughs> even though I love Fight Club and I've seen it uh, any number of times, that first experience of watching Fight Club is so amazing. Right. That... Uh, yeah, it's, it, the Matrix is very similar. It's kind of like the first time you see Longhorn, as a matter of fact. Oh, could be. Although I, I think Longhorn gets better with age. Yes. <laughs> in fact, it's better. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the features of Longhorn is that uh, the, the, the smart file indexing. What is the, what's the word for it? It uh, moves the file sectors closer that you use more often. Mm -hmm. oh, I can't remember. Superfetch? Superfetch. 
That's it. That's a way cooler name than smart file indexing. Yeah, it sounds like a black exploitation film in the seventies. <laughs> you know, starring Chevy Chevy Chase, right? Oh no, then you're thinking of Fletch. I'm That's thinking of funny. Superfly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we digress. The, the what I was saying there was that with Superfetch technology, it's the kind of uh, I guess the the feature that it addresses is how now with Windows, your performance degrades over time. So you have like a window of <laughs> of time where your PC works really well, and then it just slow, gets slower and slower and slower. Whereas with Longhorn, uh, it keeps track of the data that you access and actually moves those pieces of data closer together so that uh, the more you use them, the faster it gets. It's cool. It is cool stuff. How about you? What's your What's your... What's your fave favorite part uh, of Longhorn? I mean, you're probably going to say Indigo, but what's the what's the coolest killer feature for you? Well, I mean, I guess I'm morally obliged to say Indigo is my favorite feature, but just in terms of the developer experience, um, I'm really enjoying working with XAML and MS Build. Ah. The the whole ability to work in an XML medium as a developer. For me, I really like. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like angle brackets, but why don't you explain what XAML is? Yeah, man, tell us all about XAML. So, a good way to think about XAML is if if you've looked at what we're doing in Widby with C Sharp and VB.net, VB.net with these things called partial classes, which allow you. So, partial classes are a C Sharp feature and a VB.net feature that allow you to spread the definition of a type across two or more text files. And partial types enable a bunch of things. One thing, though, that they enable that's really interesting is you could have a preprocessor over some other format other than C Sharp that would emit Code DOM or something equivalent to Code DOM that would then get folded in with your C Sharp or VB uh, type def. So what happens is you get to take the definition of a single class smeared over two or more text files, one of which could be normal curly braces and semicolons and, you know, the way you're used to programming as a programmer. The other file with XAML is a markup file, which is really just a different view over the same type definition that's contributing different members to the uh, the aggregate type. And, you know, it's, it's a really nice way to structure your code. Would it be especially fair to Especially in a world where you want, you know, the logic to be controlled by one developer and the overall structuring of the app to be controlled by someone else, perhaps even someone who's not super technical. Right. Would it be fair to say, Don, that uh, XAML is kind of takes the idea of uh, ASP.NET defined, you know, almost XML-like controls, server-side controls, but writing that same kind of th- markup language for Windows Forms? Separating uh, presentation from implementation, basically. Uh, you could use it for that. It is certainly good for that style of development, but... I'm really curious to see what happens as more people grok what the real Zen of XAML is mm-hmm. uh, and, and start applying it in other domains. Um, I think it's pretty interesting stuff. And uh, is, is XAML the only kind of presentation that has that, like a Windows form that acts like a web browser where, where things wrap around and buttons move and things scale out and stretch? Is, is... Uh, I don't know. I doubt it. I'm sure that you know lots of people do scalable graphics. Avalon has that built in. Okay, so right. that's not a that's XAML not thing. A that's an Avalon that's thing. An Avalon. Yeah, all, all the things you just talked about with, with the flow, you could get by writing a normal imperative program okay, in okay. VB or C Sharp. Great. 
it's just a hell of a lot easier to write if you're using if you're doing the the content part in XAML as opposed to C sharp or VB. And that's one of the things that you guys did, you and Chris did on the stage, is uh, you took a uh, if I can remember correctly, you took a class and uh, a XAML application and a class that created a Windows application, right? And yeah, in you fact, moved, we did, you started with a, that's it. You started with a Windows app, and then you moved the presentation layer into a XAML. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we we started with a hundred percent C sharp program, right? And then we started to split it so that part of the type def we only had one class in the file. Yeah, part of the class was in the XAML, part of the class was in the C sharp file. Yeah, and the compiler and build system just merged them together. Yeah, and you also rotated the text, uh, you know, at an angle. I think the button, too. Did you yep. rotate the button? Yeah, you rotated the button. Yeah, so part of the whole vector graphics system of Avalon is there's this transform context that you can set up that that will apply a transformation to all um, graphics operations. And so what we did in that case was we just set up what's called a transform decorator and gave it a transform formula to run on everything that we put inside of it. And another interesting thing about Avalon which you see when you work in XAML, but it's actually just a, a plain Avalon feature, is the fact that most of the most, if not all of these things, compose and nest. So I can have a transform decorator inside of a button, inside of a transform decorator inside of a text box. Wow! There's all kinds of interesting compositional things you can do. That's great. Yeah, it's it's a really fun stuff to program against. So what are you working on now, post PDC? Just is it all Indigo? Just uh, working hard, getting Longhorn out the door? Yeah, so I'm most of my time is spent working on getting our beta one in shape. Um, so we're just about to start coding on beta one, and um, I'm also working on some cross team stuff to make sure that you know Longhorn is consistent. As an architect, are you still doing a lot of uh, hands-on coding? Uh, as an architect, I usually never. In fact, I have yet to write a single line of code that makes it into a shipping product, and that's pretty typical. Um, I do write a lot of code, but usually um, what I wind up building gets looked at by the devs, and they go off and rewrite it completely, mm-hmm. which is the Microsoft way. The Microsoft way, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one I may communicate way, to these guys in code, but uh, in terms of I, I have no expectation that any code I write will ever ship in a product, at least not, not while I'm an architect. Well, we're about uh, out of time here, unfortunately. Is there any last-minute words of wisdom you'd like to impart? I know that you're a uh, revered as a wise sage of programming. Uh, any words of wisdom you can uh, lay on us? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of technology in the pipeline. Um, I'm looking at the stuff that we're doing in Widby, and it gets me pretty excited as a programmer. I'm looking at some of the stuff we're doing in Indigo, and I'm getting pretty excited as a programmer. Um, the surprise for me was how excited I'd be about Avalon. Just the out-of-box experience of writing a program. Um, I actually like writing usable programs now. Normally, I only like writing plumbing. It's like a recreational right. hobby kind of thing. <laughs> but but now I actually love slapping together some XAML and uh, you know building something that you know my mom could actually use. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of an interesting time. It all comes back to your mom, doesn't it? It always comes back to your yeah. mom. Well, listen, man, on, on behalf of uh, listeners everywhere and uh, Mark and myself, I'd like to seriously thank you for coming on our show and giving a little class to our otherwise uh, silly, silly show. That's right, Don. This has been a great pleasure. Awesome to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. 
All right, will you come back and talk to us again? Of course. All right. Until then, take care. Good night, Don. Good night.